Let's dive into the word of God together tonight and let's get refreshed. Okay. Tonight, we're going to be talking from the subject, faith, words, and actions, unlocking God's financial promises. Now you've been hearing Pastor Sean and you've heard Pastor Ralph and you've heard me and we've been teaching and talking about this idea of seed, time, and harvest. The Bible says it like this. It says, as long as the earth remains, that there will be seed, time, and harvest, okay? And so those principles are still in existence. And because we are a teaching ministry, one of the things that we do not do is we do not despise repetitive teaching. In fact, we believe that the more you hear something, the more it gets down into the bones and marrow of your understanding. And so even though some of the things I'm going to say tonight are scriptures that you've heard, there's things that you might could even quote. I'm asking you to open up your spiritual ears, open up your heart, open up your mind so that what we begin to talk about tonight can 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 just either take root um, or it may cause something to grow or it may cause something to come into full bloom into your life. Amen. Now, we say this all the time here at Fellowship of Champions. If we were in a live service, I would say this and have you to, to make a statement back to me. Here's my statement. I'm anointed to teach tonight. I am anointed to teach you. And your response is, and I'm anointed to learn. All right? I'm anointed to teach. You're anointed to learn. And when you get someone anointed to teach and someone to anointed to learn, there's a powerful transfer that takes place. All right? So let's get into the word of God tonight. Today, we're diving deep into another look at the kingdom's blueprint for financial blessings. That's what I call it, the kingdom's blueprint for financial blessings. Just like you were going to build a house. If you were going to build a house, you need to have the blueprints for that home in order for it to be constructed the right way. The same thing is true in the word of God. If you're going to unlock these promises that God has for us, because the Bible tells us that God did not hide anything from us. He hid things for us. And so in order for us to unlock these promises that God has, has, has hidden away for us, we must understand the blueprint. Okay. This is a topic that many people shy away from. It's one that I used to shy away from, at least in terms of being willing to teach it publicly. You know, I talk to it to my spiritual sons and my spiritual daughters. We talk about it when we were together. Uh, we have these kind of conversations, but I never really wanted to talk about it publicly because there were so many people who who always just said, well, all those preachers want is your money. Right. That's all they want is your money. But you know what? That's all the movies want. That's all Walmart wants. That's all that car dealership wants. That's all your mortgage company wants. They just want your money. But like the apostle Paul says, I don't desire a gift from you. What I desire, what Pastor Sean desires, what Pastor Raph desires, what Pastor Chandra, Pastor Nitra, Pastor Chris, and all of our leaders, what we desire is that fruit may abound to your account. That's what we want. We want you rich. <laughs> we want you healthy. We want you wise. We want your relationship flourishing. That's what we want. And we made the decision that we were no longer going to allow what, what, what naysayers say 
and what critics may or may not say stifle us from teaching you what we know works in our own personal life. And so tonight we're here to talk about this blueprint and we're going to talk about it in terms of our faith, in terms of our words, and in terms of our actions. And then I'm going to get out of your way. Amen. Now, there is a spiritual and physical wealth that God has reserved for those who dare to tap into it. Did you hear me? There is a spiritual wealth and there is a physical wealth. And God wants us to have both of them. He's reserved them for us, but it's up to us to tap into what he has made available. We mo and, and, and we have to dare to tap into it. We have to be bold and courageous enough to tap into it. And I believe that I've got some people sitting here across this United States of America and in a couple of other countries tonight on this broadcast. And there is something inside of them that says, I dare to believe. I dare to believe. And because you dare to believe, then there are some things that I believe that are available for you. And I believe there's some revelation that's going to show up for you tonight that's going to cause you to begin to live at a higher level. I want to begin with Psalm 107. I want to begin at Psalms 107, and I want you to see this. You know, I was reading um, something the other day, and I came across Psalm, Psalms 107 too, and it's something that we say all the time. But look at this. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, if you have been redeemed from the Lord, you ought to go ahead and put that in the comment section tonight and say, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he, the Lord, has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. If he's redeemed us from the hand of the enemy, that means that poverty is no longer ours. Sickness is no longer ours. Fear is no longer ours. And defeat is no longer ours. We are redeemed. Amen. And so I want you to hear what I have to say tonight from that standpoint. I am redeemed. What, another way to say that is I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not the old person I used to be. I'm not the broke, busted, and disgusted person that I used to be. I'm not even the person they sing about when they talk about how a saint ain't nothing but a sinner who doesn't fail down. I have been redeemed. I have been redeemed. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that's positive there because what you're going to find out is what we say about ourselves matters. What we believe God has said about us is important, but what we say about ourselves is important. I am redeemed. Now, let's start with this first tab. We're talking about faith, works, and action. So let's start with the first part of this. Let's start with faith. The role of faith in financial freedom. There is a role that faith has to play. If you're going to be in God's system, then you cannot use all of the tactics of the world and expect them to work in God's system. You have to choose which system you're going to operate in. The Bible asks the question, how long do you halt between two opinions? 
It also says to us, choose ye this day. Choose life or choose death. You got to choose systems. Are you going to be living in God's system or are you going to be living in the system of the world? Because in God's system, there is a major role that faith plays in financial freedom. Now, let's go to our definition, our definition about faith. We've said this so, so many times. We know this. Faith begins where the will of God is known. That is where faith begins. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Now, we know that faith is a supernatural force, right? We know that. We know that faith is a supernatural force. We know that that supernatural force comes from God. We also know that it comes from God and it was given to us as believers so that we could do the will of God and bring God's will to pass in the earth. That's our definition of faith. That we, 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 we taught that, we memorized that, we, 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 we put that in our hearts so it wasn't just something we learned just during the series, right? But we also know that faith begins where the will of God is known. You cannot have faith in something that you don't know God is behind, okay? And so you cannot have faith for financial freedom if you don't know that, that financial freedom is something God wants for you. Okay, so then let's find out what what just a couple of things that God has to say about financial freedom as it relates to your life. Let's look at Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17 reminds us, it says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I have to know what the will of God is. And sometimes I have to hear it multiple times in order to exercise and build my faith. It's why we don't despise repetitive teaching at Fellowship of Champions. Well, they always saying God wants you healed because we don't despise repetitive teaching. They always say God wants you blessed financially because we do not despise repetitive teaching. They always say they believe in strong marriages because we do not despise repetitive teaching. And so then that faith for a strong marriage, that faith for healing in our physical bodies, the faith for our emotional stability, the faith for us to be able to have financial freedom, it comes because we hear the word concerning it over and over again. In the Latin, that phrase is ad, inf is ad infinium, ad infinitum. It means to hear without ceasing. It means to hear over and over and over and over again. It is the way you are able to sing a song that you never saw the lyrics to. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? You hear a song on the radio. The first time you hear a new song, the next time it comes on, you do not know all the words. Oh, but when you've heard it a hundred times, when you've heard it 200 times, now not only are you singing the main part, you're singing the ad libs, the backgrounds, you, you, you're singing all the parts to the song. Why? Because anything that gets ingratiated on the inside of us comes through repetition. Say this in the comments section. Say, I do not despise repetitive teaching. We have to get to a place where we are constantly filling our ears with God's promises about prosperity. Now, you've heard us say this before. You've heard us say this before. When we talk about prosperity, 
We are not just talking about money, but we are talking about money. When we talk about prosperity, we're not going to shrink back and just only talk about things that don't equate to money. We're going to talk about all of it. When we talk about TLP, that total life prosperity, when you hear us chanting TLP is for me, we mean we want everything God has for us in every area of our life to be fully manifested in our life to the full till it overflows. Amen? To the full until it overflows. And so then we have to understand that if we want to to really embrace this idea of financial freedom, we have to have faith for financial freedom. And faith for financial freedom comes from where the will of God is, where the will of God is known for us uh, about our financial freedom. Amen? T-L-P is for me. Total life prosperity. All right, let's take a look at Hebrews 11 and 1 then. Because Romans 10, 17, 10, 17 tells us how faith comes. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, now faith is. Now faith is. Faith is not somewhere in the future. Uh, I'm hoping for 10 years from now or, or three years from now. Faith is possessive. Faith is now. The Bible says it is the substance, which means it exists. It has weight to it. It has proof. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Understand this. Your faith is your currency in the kingdom of God. It is how you buy and trade in God's kingdom. See, God doesn't need your dollar bills. God doesn't need your silver coins. God doesn't need your gold coins. Your, your, that, that stuff means nothing to him. The currency of the kingdom is faith. Somebody put that in the comment section. Say, my currency is faith. And here's what I want you to know. You ought to be rich in that currency. You ought to have so much faith. Why? Because the Bible says even with just a little bit of it, you can speak to the mountain and the mountain has to obey you. It says you can have just a little bit of faith. And when you plant that little bit of faith, it will produce a dream big enough that you can live your whole life inside. You ought to be rich in the currency of faith. Faith is not passive. I, I, it's, not a, it's not a hope and a dream. How do I know this? Because James 2.26 tells me, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, then so faith without works is dead also. So when I talk about you having faith, your faith cannot be passive. We, we know it begins where the will of God is known, but that's not where it ends. Your faith ought to propel you to action. You, uh, the Bible says it like this. You tell me you have faith with no works. I tell you, I can show you my faith through my works. If you say you have faith to get a job, but you're not applying for a job, you don't have a lot of faith. You tell me you got faith to repair your relationship, but you're not willing to go to counseling and get professional help, you don't have faith. Faith, faith and works go together. You have to learn to act on your faith 
and you have to make moves in the direction of your belief. Let me say that again. You have to act on your faith. If you're typing, you can or writing, you can say that. I must act on my faith and move in the direction of what I believe. If I if I believe that God sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world, and I'm of the world. Okay, I, I can read in his word that he says that. That is where faith begins. But I got to do something more than just believe my faith has to have corresponding action. I have to then do the thing I'm supposed to do, which is to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. Okay, that is what faith in action looks like. Understand this, when you're believing God for a financial breakthrough, you may not be able to see it immediately, but faith says it's happening right now. And some of you, you, you allow what I call time to wear you out. You cannot allow time to wear you out. Time is an enemy of faith. But faith has the ability to supersede that. One of my favorite stories is the story of the Seraphonician woman. You can go and look that up and you can read that story. She, she comes to Jesus and she asks Jesus for something. And the thing she asks Jesus for, Jesus says to her, it is not for you. And then she comes back and she says, that is true. In fact, what Jesus says, it's not meat or it's not right for me to give the children's bread to someone who's like a dog. And, and, and she didn't get offended. She used her faith and she said, truth, Lord. She says, but even a dog will eat the crumbs that falls from the master's table. She was full of faith. She's like, I don't need everything you got, Jesus. Whatever just falls off of you is going to be good enough to get me to what I need. And Jesus looked at her. He said, I have not seen so much faith in all of Israel. He says, the thing that I have that you're asking for, you're not even supposed to be able to have access to this until after I've gone to the cross, after I've died and I've made Gentiles and Jews one. He said, but because of your faith, we're going to skip time. And the thing you asked for, I grant it to you right now. Somebody ought to kick times behind out the door tonight. You ought to quit worrying about time and start exercising your faith. You got to exercise your faith. What, why, does, why does time have to obey faith? Well, let's look at Hebrews 11 and 1 in the Amplified. Okay? We read it in the King James, but let's look at it in the Amplified. It says, now faith is. Again, faith is right now. It's not passive. It says, now faith is the assurance. Now, notice this. It is the title deed. It is the confirmation of things hoped for that have already been divinely guaranteed. If we was in church right now, we shall. It has been divinely guaranteed because God has divinely guaranteed me of a particular thing or things, time can't wear me out. 
How, how can time tell me I don't have a house when I already have the house? How can time tell me I don't have healing when I already have healing? How can time tell me I don't have a fixed relationship when my relationship is already fixed? How can time tell me I'm not a six-figure earner when I'm already a six-figure earner? Faith is now. He says, it is the evidence of things not seen. Now, when you go to court, you know you can't convict somebody on circumstantial evidence. If someone's going to be convicted, you have to have what they call proof. You have to have evidence. Time wants to evict you away from the promises of God. But time can't, oh, I wish I, somebody was preaching with me tonight. Time cannot convict me and convince me that I don't have what God's already told me I have because it's already been divinely guaranteed and the evidence of it is based on his word. It's based on his word. And because it's based on his word, I can stand and look time in the face and say, time, you're wrong. Healing already belongs to me. Debt freedom already belongs to me. The new house, the new car, college paid for, renovations paid for, it is already done. It's already done. You can't talk me out of it. You should have talked me out of it before I knew what faith was. You should have talked me out of it before I understood that it was a supernatural power that came from God that was given to me so that I could do God's will. What's God's will? That I'd be blessed in every area of my life. So you got to believe that God is your provider. Somebody say that God is my provider. You got to believe that God is your provider. And that God ultimately is your source. Your job is a resource. Your investments is a resource. Being an entrepreneur, it's a resource. Other people, it's a resource. God is your source. God is your provider. And it is he who will never let you lack any good thing. Oh, but pastor, you don't see what I'm going through. I see what you're looking at. I see what you're looking at and what you're looking at is natural. The thing I know about anything that's natural is that it's subject to change. But I can't, I, I can't get you to look at God when you're looking at the natural. I just made a bold statement. I said, he will never let you lack any good thing. Well, pastor, how can you say that? Psalms 84 verse 11 guarantees me of it. It says, for the Lord God is both a sun, he will, he will shine on you when you need it, and he'll be a shield. He'll block it when you don't need it. The same God will be the provider of what you need and the blocker of what you don't need. I need about three people to go ahead and give God some praise on that. It says the Lord God will give grace and glory. Watch this. I ain't making this up. This is in the Bible. No good thing Will he withhold from them that walk upright for those who will just believe? For those who choose to believe. God's not asking us to be perfect. He knows that we have human frailties. But what we know is that Holy Spirit will undergird us and make us strong where we are weak. He's looking for some sincere people. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth looking for somebody that he can show himself strong to. Are you that person? 
Because if you're that person, he says, no good thing will I withhold from them that walk upright. Well, pastor, I ain't got everything good in my life. Listen, that's because you're not in faith. Because if you were in faith, you would say like me and the other 40 people on this broadcast tonight, you would say, I already have everything I need. And you'd be bold about it and you clap your hands and you give God praise about it because you would know that time can't wear you out. The devil can't wear you out. Fear can't wear you out. And doubt can't wear you out. Why? Because God made a promise in his word. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk upright. Lord, I walk upright. Everything I need, you already have been made available. Everything I need. I don't. I don't have to know how God's going to do it. I don't have to know how or when he's going to make it manifest in my natural life. The fact that he said it is, means it's been divinely guaranteed. His word is good enough for me. Oh, somebody ought to say that. His word is good enough for me. See, you got to trust in God's timing. You got to remember that God is not on your clock. You got to remember that God is always working behind the scenes on your behalf, even when you don't see immediate, immediate results. I know I'm having y'all type a lot, but you ought to say this. Something supernatural is happening for me right now. Listen, if we was in church, I'd make you fire five people and I'd make you look them dead in the eye and slap high five. Listen, if it's some folk in your house, you ought to slap high five with them and say, listen, God is doing something supernatural on my behalf right now. This moment, there are some things I done prayed about. There's some things I spoke in the Holy Spirit about. There are some things I got on my vision board. There's some goals, some dreams, some objectives and outcomes that I've been talking to God about. Baby, he working on them right now while I'm on this broadcast, listening to this bald head preacher talk about faith. God is working it out right now. Glory to God. Glory to God. You got to trust God's timing. I trust God's timing. I trust God's timing. Listen, the Bible says this, Philippians 1 and 6 in the New International Version. It says, being confident of this. Any confident folk out there? If you're confident in the Lord, go ahead and put a one in the comment section. If you're confident, he says, being confident of this. That he, the Lord Jesus Christ, who began a good work in me, he will carry it on to completion until the day of his return. That's why I can be so bold. That's why I can stand flat footed. Because the revelation came that God who began this good work in me is not going to stop halfway through. He is going to continue to do the work in me so that I can handle the promises that he's already made available for me. Some of you are not ready. You're not ready for the promise. It's yours, but you're not ready yet. It's the equivalent of Ralph Marlowe having a car that's already available for Aiden. Aiden ain't ready for it yet. Major ain't ready for it yet. Ava ain't ready for it yet. And he'd be a terrible father to give them something that belongs to them when he knows, glory to God, they're not prepared for it. So don't be mad that you ain't got it yet. Do a self-check and ask yourself, what do I need to do to prepare? Because I know my daddy has already prepared it for me. See, understand, this particular verse in Philippians 1 and 6, it reassures believers 
that God who started a good work in them will continue to act in their best interest. He will continue to act in their best interest, even if they can't always see it, understand it, or even be willing to admit it. Listen, all of us on here are old enough to know that there are some things we can think back to that when our parents told us, no, we did not understand. We did not understand why our parents wouldn't let us go over somebody's house. We wouldn't understand why our parents wouldn't let us go to a particular party or a game, or they wouldn't let us do something. And then when you get older, you realize that what they was doing was not being mean to you. What they was doing was protecting you from you. <laughs> go ahead, say this. Say, Lord, thank you for protecting me from me. Lord, thank you. <laughs> thank you for protect. There's some stuff I thought I wanted and some stuff I thought I was ready for. Lord, thank you for protecting me from me. I appreciate that. I know you've already got it prepared for me, but, but, if, but if you gave me all of the debt freedom right now, I'd spend my time in my new car and on my new boat and I'd forget all about you. Mm. It's why he told him in Deuteronomy, he says, now, when you come into this wealthy place, he says, don't forget who brought you here. See, some of you think you're ready, but we know, we, we know you're not ready because you can't be consistent in your state of brokenness. So how are you going to be consistent when you're rich? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Faith, faith, words, and actions. Unlocking God's financial promises. That's the first part. Let's look at this second part. It is the power of positive confessions. I cannot stress to you how important this is, yet it tends to be a thing that people don't do unless we're directly teaching about it. This has to become something that you yourself personally see as absolutely vital to your freedom in every area of your life. Because what you say matters. What you say matters. Proverbs 18 and 21, let's look at it. You know what it says. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life, literally, he says, blessings or cursings, death or life, it is in the power of the tongue, the one that you possess. You want death in your life? All you got to do is speak it. You want life in your life? Zoe, life in your life? He says, all you got to do is speak it. You've got to learn to align your words with the, will, with the will of God. You have to align your words with the will of God. The Bible declares this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, we having the same spirit of faith. Anybody got that same spirit of faith that Jesus had? Jesus had a type, of, a type of faith that when he spoke it, he saw it. When he spoke it, it came into existence. One of my favorite stories about that is when Jesus and his friends were walking and they passed a fig tree and he saw the fig tree and it was about the season in which the fig tree should have had figs on it. And they were hungry and when, when they got to the fig tree, the fig tree was perpetrating the fraud. 
<laughs> it did not have fruit on it as though it's as though it should. And the Bible says that Jesus cursed empowered to fail that tree. He said, no man shall eat thereof you again. And the Bible says that his disciples heard it. The tree heard it and it didn't look like nothing was happening, but they kept on going. They went and did their business. They went and ministered. And on their way back from that city, they came. And the Bible tells us that his disciples saw this fig tree withered up and dead. And they were astonished out of measure. They were astonished because they had not seen someone have so much power in their words that they could speak to something. And the moment they began to speak to it, even though it didn't look like it was changed, it started dying right then. The same thing is true in your life. You can see something dead in your life. Your finances may be dead. Your physical life may be dead. Your marriage may be dead, but you can start speaking to it and that thing immediately will start go, to start to live again. The same thing is true though. You got some things in your life you'd like to change, but they stay dead because you keep calling them dead. You keep talking about how it's never going to change. You keep talking about how it's never going to get better. You keep talking about, uh, about how bad the, the, the spouse is, how bad the kids are, how bad the money is, how terrible the job is. It keeps getting worse because you keep killing it with your words. So you got to learn not to do that. Let's go back to that scripture. It says, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believed, right? And therefore, I have what? Spoken. What do I have to do first? Believe. And then what do I have to do? Speak it. He says, I, we have the same spirit of faith that Jesus had. Jesus believed and Jesus spoke. He says, we also believe and therefore we speak. The Bible tells us so many times that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. See, I know what you believe, not when you're sitting up in church in Valley is playing the music and Chris is singing. Not when you're sitting up on Bible study on prayer and one of the prayer warriors is praying and you type in the comment section. I, not, not when Ralph is teaching uh, Refresh or me and Sean are teaching on, on, on Sundays or I'm doing Ed talking, she's doing... No, no, no. I know you join all those broadcasts, but what do you say when you get off? What do you say when, when an unexpected bill comes? What do you say when the doctor gives you a report that you wasn't expecting? What do you do when your kids show out and act a fool that they had, and they had never done that before? What do you say then? Because it is when pressure comes that you're going to say what you believe. You ever squeeze an orange? You know what you don't get out of an orange, right? Pineapple juice. I don't care how many oranges you squeeze, you're never getting pineapple juice out of that orange. Why? Because when you apply pressure, the only thing that comes out of that orange is what is already in it. So when a bill comes, and, and, and on, on Wednesday night, you've been talking about, I believe, Pastor, I'm full of faith. And then tomorrow, an unexpected bill shows up. You have a flat in your tire, your refrigerator goes out, and your dryer messes up, and the kids need new shoes. What do you say then? 
What do you say then? Because what you say then is what you really believe. When you get your paycheck and you say, man, my check is already spent. What do you believe? That's what you say out of the abundance of the heart. It didn't say out of a little bit. It says when your heart gets full, that's what you start to speak. And so you got to learn to watch your words. We're talking about faith, words, and actions. The Bible says this, we must learn to speak life over every situation. And we've got to do it no matter how it looks. Your confession is your possession. Somebody write that down. My confession is my, prof is my possession. Whatever I confess, whatever I say, is my, is, is my possession. It's what I'm going to have. So you want to you, you look around your life right now tonight and pause. And you want to look around your life and see what you have. It is the abundance of your most dominant thoughts. See, I used to think broke. I used to think poor. And I got in this word, and over the last 20 plus years, I've pushed out with the washing of the word all of that pitiful, poor, sick, stinking thinking. And I got it out my life. And the more I got it out my life and the more word I got in my life, the more poverty left me and the more wealth and riches came. And I ain't ashamed to say it. I'm rich. I, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. I ain't rich as I'm going to be. Somebody ought to grab hold of that. You ought to be saying that right now. I'm rich. I ain't rich as I'm going to be, but I'm rich. Why? Because God has so much more for you. I'm rich in my finances. I'm rich in my relationships. I'm rich in my health. Baby, I am living my best life. I love that. Kim said, word in, lack out. I love it. I love it. My professor used to tell me all the time in our PhD program when we were working on this SPSS system to do our analysis. He said, if you put junk in, you're going to get junk out. He says, I don't care whether you can work these formulas or not. If you put junk in that computer, it's going to give you junk back. If you put junk in your system, that's what's going to get in your heart and that junk is going to come out your mouth. But if you put the word of God in you, my goodness tonight, if you wash yourself with the word of God, the Bible says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, it would divide all that junk from what is truth and what is real. And before you know it, what's on the inside of you will be nothing but the word of God. And you'll start speaking it before you even know it. It become automatic for you. A bill will show up and before you know it, you'll be like, God, I thank you that I got, I got more than enough. You, so, something will happen and you'll have to pay for something or the Lord will ask you to sow into somebody's life and you'll be like, Lord, I thank you. I got plenty more to put in store. Why? Because your mouth will line up with your heart. And that's why you cannot allow your mouth to be reckless. You cannot allow your mouth to be reckless. Why? Because the Bible says that out of your mouth flows all the issues of life. Amen? All the issues of life. You got to speak over your life. And you can do it with boldness because we can go to the word of God and find this. Look at 3 John 1 and 2. Look at 3 John 1 and 2. You know what it said. It says, Beloved, I pray 
that in all respects that you may prosper. That's money, somebody, in case you wonder. Because <laughs> he follows it up by saying, I will, that you would prosper, have money, and be in good health just as your soul prospers. You have to learn, no matter whether you're feeling good or not feeling good, to declare God's promises every single day. I, I walked six miles today. Today is November 1st. My wife and I decided to do another 100-mile challenge. It ain't too late for you to jump in on it. But we decided to do another 100-mile challenge. Last, last month, we said we was going to do 100. Took it day by day. I started looking forward to my walks because it became a time where I could rehearse the promises of God. I started saying to myself, you owe yourself 60 minutes. If it's 24 hours in a day, you can give yourself an hour to do something for your physical body and for your spiritual body at the same time. And this is one description that I would just mull over, over and over. Of. I would say, God, I thank you. God, I praise you. I thank you that you want me to be prosperous. And I thank you that you want me to be in good health. Just as my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my imagination, and my intellect prospers. I thank you, God, that this is what you desire for me. And I come into agreement with you in Jesus' name. And those are the kind of things you need to be saying out of your mouth. Not I don't know what I'm going to do. Not if the Lord don't come through. My declaration is God already knows what he's going to do. God already knows how he's going to fix it. God already knows how he's going to rescue me. God already knows how he's going to get me out of the situation. My job is to praise him and thank him for it. Let's look at Matthew 12, 37. We're still talking about words here because this is so important. Matthew 12, 37 says, for by your words, come on somebody, will you be what? Acquitted. That's a courtroom term. He says, and by your words, you will be what? Condemned. Now, I watch a lot of judge shows, okay? Whether they reality judge shows or court TV. And anytime you find somebody who has an attorney and that attorney knows that that person is probably guilty and he does not want that person to incriminate themselves, he does not put that person on the stand. Why? Because he knows if he puts the person on the stand, while he may be able to ask him the right kind of questions to make him look innocent, he knows he's got to be cross-examined. And it is in the cross-examination, come on somebody, that the words of that individual ends up costing them to, to get themselves condemned or convicted. He said, that's why it's so important that you guard your mouth. He says, guard your mouth because out of it comes the issues of life. So here he says, for by your words, you're either going to be acquitted or you're going to be condemned. That's why I had you at the beginning to make that statement. I am redeemed. See, that's acquittal talk. I may have been guilty. I showed up in this earth realm as guilty because of the sins of Adam, but I am redeemed because of what the, what the last Adam did, who was Jesus Christ. So I got to make sure I'm watching my words. Words are so important. It's how you got saved. Look at Romans 10, 9, 10. 
It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, for it is with your heart. There's that heart issue again. For it is with your heart that you believe and are what? Justified, made right. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I told you earlier that whatever you confess is what you possess. I confess I am saved by Jesus Christ. Therefore, I possess salvation. What are you using your words to possess? What are you, when, when people ask me to help them with their resumes, I don't mind, but I always have to ask them, are you, are you confessing that you already have the new job? Because that's actually more important than us doing the resume. You have to believe and then have some corresponding action with that belief. And then your words need to line up with what's on the abundance of your heart. If you saying, I believe I'm going to get a new job, but in your heart, you're terrified and you don't think you're going to get one, you never will. There must be a heart and mouth agreement. It must be a heart and mouth agreement. The Bible tells us that it just has to work that way. Look at Proverbs 13 and 3. I'm giving you these scriptures so hopefully you can go back and look over this. But Proverbs 13 and 3 says, those who guard their lips, what do they do? They preserve their natural life. But those who speak rashly, those who pop off and keep it 100, those who keep it real, it says their life is going to come to what? Ruin. Because keeping it real ain't the same thing as keeping it fake. And over here at FOC, we keep it fake. What did God say? Because whatever God says is what we're going to end up being in agreement with. Amen? Don't mean we won't have to do it with fear and trembling. Doesn't mean we won't have to be like the man that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But I'm going to preserve my lips because I want to preserve my life. I'm not going to be rash with my words because I don't want my life to come to ruin. Hebrews 11 and 3, NIV. It says, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command or at God's word. So that what we currently see was not even made out of what can be visible. Now, the Bible says earlier, we read, it says you having the same spirit of faith. You, you got to get this. You got to get this. If you have the same spirit of faith and the Bible says that God did not use things to make things. God used what could not be seen words to make what we can see now. Then if you be in the same spirit being, and I know you are because the Bible says in Genesis that he made man after his own image and likeness, then there are some things that don't exist in your life right now because you haven't said them. You need to declare your debt freedom. You need to declare your healing. You need to declare, Father, I don't know where the money's coming from for this next project you have me to work on. But what I do know is that you've never been caught by surprise. You always have more than enough 
to accomplish everything you call me to. In fact, I believe I am so sufficient, I require no aid or support. All I need is a word from you and you will make everything fall in place as I walk and obey you. That's what your language needs to be. That's what your language needs to be. The Bible says in James 3, 5, and 6, it talks about the importance of your tongue and your words. It says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but yet it makes great boats. It says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a little small spark. He said, the tongue is just like that. It is also a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. He says, your tongue is so corrupt that it corrupts your entire body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, you can read that and be like, oh, my God, does that just mean I need to be quiet? No, it means you need to study to learn to be quiet. <laughs> what do I mean? I mean, you can't say everything that comes to your mind. Your tongue is wicked. It cannot be tamed except by the Holy Ghost. That's why you got to say, Holy Ghost, I give you my tongue. Some of you ought to say that tonight. Holy Ghost, I give you my tongue. I will not speak out of turn. I will not be harsh with my words. I will not be rash with my words. I will preserve my lips. When I hear you say, be quiet, I will close my mouth and shut up. Because you are telling me to do it, not to hinder me, but to help me. Understand, these scriptures I've given you tonight, they emphasize the power of the spoken word. The significance of aligning our speech with faith and belief in the consequences of our words. So you've got to guard against negative talk. But you can't ever get negative talk really out of your mouth long term if you don't get it out of your heart. If you got negativity in your heart, it's going to flow to this mouth. What's the four things we talk about taming all the time? You know what they are, but two of them, two of them are right here. We got to tame this tongue and we got to tame this temperament, our heart. Because if we don't, they're going to lead us down a path that we don't want to go down. We also know that we got to tame our thoughts and we got to tame our team. That's why I can't hang around folk who just willing to say anything about anything, anywhere, anytime. I can't do it. My life depends on what's being said. Do you hear me? Whether or not I walk into this next level of my destiny depends on whether or not I say the right thing. Am I going to partner with God or am I going to partner with the devil by using my words the wrong way? Tell your neighbor, say, it matters what you say. It matters what you say. Faith, words, and actions. Let's talk about this last part. What is the action? That last part is about your generosity. It's about whether or not you understand the significance of what we've been talking about the last several weeks. The power of seed, time, and harvest. Generosity is about the seed that multiplies. See, I can't just sow seed if I don't have the right words and I don't have faith. I can't just have the right words if I don't believe what I'm saying and I don't sow the seed. 
I can't just be popping off making confessions and sowing seed, but I don't believe. I need all three of these. I need faith. I need the right confession. And I need to believe and practice the actions of seed, time, and harvest. Somebody type this in the comment section. Say, I am a sower. I am a sower. And I don't just sow. I sow into good ground. I sow as God tells me to sow. Why is so important? Well, we see this even in the New Testament. Folks love to say some is Old Testament or some is New Testament, and they got problems anytime you talk about uh, giving when it relates to the Old Testament, but they ain't got no problem with all them blessings in the Old Testament. Because you do understand I'm blessed in the city, I'm blessed in the field, I'm blessed going in, I'm blessed coming out, I'm the head, I'm not the tail. That's not New Testament. That is Old Testament. And if you can grab hold to that, then you can grab hold to all of those other scriptures that talks about why you're supposed to sow without you trying to look for it out. Tell, tell, tell your neighbor, say, I'm not looking for an out not to sow. I'm not looking for an out. I, I'm not, I, I, I believe in sowing because I understand the concept of sowing and reaping because I can see it in the natural. When a farmer goes and sows seed, he is looking for a harvest, and I am too. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It says, shall men give into your bosom? It goes on to say, it says, it says, for the same measure that you give it out is the same measure it's going to come back to you. So if you're a stingy sower, your harvest is going to be stingy. If, 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 if you are a gracious sower, then your harvest is going to come back gracious. If you're, if you're an abundant sower, then your harvest is going to come back in abundance. Look at what it says in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. It says, there is one who scatters, right? It says, yet that person increases more. It says, but there is one, you have to determine which one you are, who withholds more than what is right. You, will, you, you, you don't sow like God tells you to sow. You, as, as we talked about last week, I don't know if that was Pastor Ralph or Pastor Sean, you observe the wind. And the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that if you observe the wind, you'll never sow. What does that mean? If you're looking for the perfect condition to sow, you will never sow. I used that scripture when I was talking to Pastor Ralph before he got married. He was talking about how much he loved April, how much he wanted to be with her, how much he saw their future together. And then he gave me a litany list of the stuff that he needed to do. And I said, if you wait for all of that stuff to be right, you will never marry that girl. 30 days later or so, they were married. And they've been married dang near 20 years. Why? Because if you wait for the perfect condition to sow, you won't sow. I can always have more money in my savings account. I can always wait till I don't have a bill. I can always wait till my kids get older. I can always wait till we took one vacation. I can always wait till the economy turns around. Baby, if you are waiting on the conditions to be right to sow, the enemy will make sure that every one of your conditions is never right because he knows the way to cut off your harvest is to convince you to agree with him and not be a generous sower. So it says there's one who scatters yet increases more, and there's one who withholds more than what is right. He says, but the person who withholds more than what's right. Now look at this. I, Pastor Edwin is not just making stuff up. This is Bible. 
It says if you withhold more than what is right, it's going to lead, what's the word? To what? I wait. Type in the comments. It's going to lead to what? It's going to lead to poverty. Now, there's, I, I used to joke and I preached a message about this one time. There are different levels of poverty. <laughs> it's different levels of poverty. Some of you experience poverty because you don't have enough to put in store. But there's another level of poverty. I call it PO. P-O. When you poor, you don't have a pot <laughs> to use <laughs> or a window to throw it out of. I mean, the devil has got involved in everything in your life. Everything you touch gets destroyed. You walk into a good situation and 30 days later, it's bad. You got a curse on your life. You are, you're not in poverty. You're poor. Why? Because over time, you've withheld more than what was right. Well, I ain't going to get that church my money. I ain't, I ain't about to tithe. I ain't about to sow. I ain't about, they ain't going to get my money. All them preachers want is a new slick suit and some gators. All they want is a new Lincoln Continental. It, it just, all that dumb talk. And the whole time, you're getting poorer and poorer and poorer. You understand? And the man of God ain't studying you. He's sowing, he's teaching, he's living his life. And from the outside, you think he's getting rich by the folk. But I'm going to tell you, like, like, like the man of God said when he met the king of Salem. He says, I, I'm going to say, ain't no man made me rich but God. Ain't no man made me rich but God. Why? Because I got involved in his system. And this system works not just for preachers, not just for evangelists, not just for apostles, not just for pastors, not but just for teachers. This will work for the guy in the parking lot ministry if he's obeying God. This will work for a 12-year-old child if they obeying God. This works for anybody. Somebody put in the comment section, say, faith and sowing and confessing works for everybody. Faith and sowing and confessing, it works for everybody. Watch this, and it works all over the world. It works all over the world. One of the, one of the best testimonies I heard was Papa uh, David Oyedipo. He talked about how he was in one of the poorest countries in Africa. And the Lord took him out to a jungle. When I say a jungle, I mean a jungle. And told him what he would do. And everybody said, well, God can't do that in Africa. God can't do this. God can't do He has universities. He has a building that sits, I think it's around 50 to 60,000 people. And they have four services a weekend. Why? Because they dared to believe God. Don't tell me this word don't work in Pine Bluff and it only works in Northwest Arkansas. Don't tell me this only works in Texarkana, but it won't work up in Blyville. Don't tell me it'll only work in Central Arkansas, but it won't work down in Eudora and Lake Village. The word of God works everywhere for those who will work it. We used to have a magazine we used to produce. Some of y'all remember this. It was called Working the Word. And the tagline said, the word will work 
If you're worth the word, I'm telling you this works for everybody. When God blesses you, you have to understand this though. He's not just thinking about you. When he blesses you, his focus is bigger than just you. It's a kingdom focus. God wants you to become a channel of blessing for others. We used to say this, we still say it. God, make me the man. Anybody out there want to be the man? Oh, y'all been inviting some folks. There's about 60 some of y'all here now. Listen, anybody want to be the man? Anybody want to be the woe man? <laughs> anybody want to be the person that God uses to channel a blessing to somebody else? My frat brother is on here tonight. Nathaniel, he's on here. He put up on his Facebook page that they were looking to feed some people in Pine Bluff. I couldn't get to my cash app fast enough to sow into that. Why? That's a kingdom initiative. That's a kingdom initiative. I got to be part of kingdom initiatives. I know that I can't, I, I don't have, I'm not going to have the time to go down there and to actually serve the food. And Lord knows I can't cook no, 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 no turkeys. So I can't do that. But you know what I can partner with him and do? I can send him money and say, hey man, here's my, here's my seed. And my seed, what other people see, is going to get some stuff done for the kingdom. You got to be willing to be a part of kingdom assignments. When God tells you to sow, you got to understand that God ain't just saying he want to bless somebody else. He wants to bless an entire kingdom. But more importantly, God wants to make you the man. Lord, make me the man. Lord, make me the man. Listen, if we was in church, I'd probably have you slap high five with 10 people. Lord, make me the man. Because if God blesses you with a million and asks you to bless someone with 250, you still 750 up. <laughs> why do I care about why do I care about being a blessing? Lord, use me however you want to to be a blessing to whoever you need to. Let me be a, let me be the limit, the living demonstration of faith. Supernatural power that comes from God given to the believer so that I can get God's will in the earth accomplished. Make me the living definition. I love this. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. I'm giving you this because I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. I'm about to go, but I need you to hear this. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, they're going to reap accordingly. And whoever sows generously, they're going to reap accordingly. He said, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will, you will reap generously. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, how do I determine what's in my heart to give? What did God say? See, I have to always teach this because people go, oh, I, the Lord said I should just give what I want to give. That's not what he said. That is not the correct exegesis of that scripture. What he says is each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. How do you decide what's in your heart to give? Because God tells you what to give. And when God tells you what to give, you decide that's what you give it. He says, and when you decide it, he says, now do it and don't do it with no stank attitude. He says, don't give reluctantly. Don't be afraid that it's, that it's leaving your life. I tell people all the time, my seed leaves my hand, but it never leaves my life. He says, give, but not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't, don't feel like you have to do it. You got you to gotta see it as an honor. 
No one is making me recognize our volunteers next month. I'm excited to do it. I want to do it. I wish what we're going to do could be multiplied times 10 for each one of them. No one is making me do it. It's a joyous thing. It's an honorable thing. It's what God called us to do, and I get to partner with God. He says this last part, put this last part back up here. For God loves a cheerful giver. One translation says, whose heart is in his giving. It says, God is unwilling to do without a prompt to do cheerful giver whose heart is in his giving. Is your heart in your giving? Or do you always feel and get that little nasty ick on you that feels like somebody's taking something from you? You give, but when you give, you, you got a stank feeling about it. You got to get that off of you. And it starts up here. You got to change that. You got to be a cheerful giver. You got to be a, a cheerful giver. You got to understand the principle of the tithe and first fruits. Offering of the first of your increase ensures God's blessings on the rest of it. Let's look at Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I would not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour you out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You understand? People say, why do you tithe? Because it's a promise. And God is not a man that he should lie. And so if God's made me a promise, I'm getting involved with what he says. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor him with your wealth. Now, wait, if the commandment is to honor God with my wealth, then in order for me to honor him, I have to be what? Wealthy. So he's already declared me wealthy. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. He says, and then your barns, your storehouse, your savings account, your investments, they will be filled to overflow. And your vats will brim over with new wine. He says, if you will honor God in the tithe, if you will honor God in the first fruit, he says, you are going to have more than enough in every situation. It's a principle that I teach people when I get a chance to talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm going to share it real quick with you. When someone gives you something, especially when it's like money, and they give it to you in the form of cash or cash app, or they send you a check or something like that, you should always take a piece of that and it ought to be a piece of it for your offering. And the 10% of it should be your time. Someone sows into my life and give me $1,000. I didn't just get $1,000. What I just got was about $900. Why? Because I'm going to take a hundred of that and I'm going to make that my time. And then I'm going to ask God, what do you want me to do with the 900? Because some of that I know has to be seen. So he might tell me to give another 100. So now I got 800. But watch this. I got, I got protection because I tithe. And I got harvest coming. It's going to be more than what I gave. That is how you live in a season of perpetual harvest. I do not eat my seed. My seed is for sowing. My bread is for eating. It's why the Bible says that God will give to you bread to eat and seed to sow. 
Whatever comes in my hand, 10% of that goes to God. And then I have a communication with God about what he wants me to do with the other part. Because I know I got to sow seed. Sometimes he may say, get $20 of that 900. Sometimes he may ask me for 500 of that 900. Sometimes he might ask me for 850 of that 900. My church has given me thousands of dollars before and I asked the Lord what he wanted me to do to it. There's been times he said, I want you to sow it. I want you to sow everything they gave you. And he said, some, I want you to use some of it to be a blessing to this person. I want you to use some of it to be a blessing to that person. I want you to put some of it in the ministry. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And I did it. And do you know every, somebody type the word every in the comment section, every single time God has given me more than what I sowed. They used to sing a song. I can't sing. I ain't going to. They ain't going to laugh me out this studio. But they used to sing a song that says, you cannot beat God's giving no matter how hard you try. The more you give to him, the more he gives to you. I don't know the rest, but I know some of it said he just keeps on giving. <laughs> Glory to God. He just keeps on giving. And that's why you have to embrace faith. You have to embrace these words and you have to embrace your action of actually being a sower. Come on. Proverbs 19, 17. So I says, man, he's giving us a lot of scripture now because I want you to go back and read this. It says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and God will reward them for what they have done. So when the Lord asks me to help somebody, I don't mind. I don't have time to talk about it, but you've heard Pastor Sean talk about it. We talk about upward sowing. We talk about peer sowing. And we talk about lending to the poor. You got to get involved in all three of those. You got to get involved in all three of those. Galatians 6 and 7. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that must he also reap. Another way to say it is that a man is going to reap what he sowed. And contrary to popular belief, this ain't got nothing to do with no karma. This ain't what karma is. This says that what so that there's a biblical principle involved. That there's a biblical principle, and you can't fool God. You can't always just want to be up with sowing. You can't always want to just be uh, sowing to the poor because it gives you that that giver's high. But you don't want to give when God tells you to give to someone you think has more than you. And you can't have that attitude that I don't want to appear so because they may have or they may get more than me. You got to get to the point where you just obey God. These scriptures all highlight the principles of generosity, the blessings that come with giving and the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Now, you know, I'm going to give you something practical. Here are the practical steps for how you do this real quick. Number one, go to number one. You got a budget. You got a budget. Now, I ain't talking about budgeting like the world, but the Lord speaks of budgeting because people hear the word budget and they think, oh, pastor tells us to cut back. No, the Bible says this in Proverbs 23, I mean, 27, 23, it says, it says, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flock and look well to thy herds. This scripture emphasizes the importance of being aware and in control of your resources. You know you can't afford to go to that white sale at the mall. You know you don't have the money to do it. Your friends all going to Jamaica. You can't go to Jamaica right now. 
You know you can't afford it. If you can't believe God for it, don't put it on no credit card. He said, you got to know the state of your affairs. There is a time and season for everything. You can't want to do everything you see your friends doing. You got to learn how to budget. Here's a second practical step. You got to learn how to save. Save? Yes, save. Proverbs 21 and 20 says it like this. There is a treasure to be desired and all in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spends all he has. A foolish person spends all they have. And, and stop calling your savings a rainy day fund. That is not what it's for. It is a storehouse. Your savings is your storehouse, not some rainy day fund. This scripture in Proverbs 21 and 20 emphasizes the wisdom in saving. Put this in the comment section. Say there is wisdom in saving. You don't spend all you have. You don't consume all you have. You don't eat all of your seed. You save and you budget and you plan for the future and you use your storehouse as an additional resource. I remember the first uh, school finance class I had in my PhD program. My professor was named Dr. Martin Schottenheimer. He was, uh, he's gone on now, passed away, but he was a prolific um, school finance expert. They used to call him to come and testify and do different things in various cases around the country. He even testified in the huge Arkansas Lakeview case. And the first thing he told us in that class, he said, we're going to spend the entire semester talking about school finance. He said, but if there's one thing I can tell you that will save you as a superintendent is that you do this one thing. And he paused and he said this, do not spend more than you have. <laughs> it's so simple. He said, you want to know how to remain a superintendent and not get fired because you handled the budget wrong? Don't spend more than you have. Some of y'all need to hear that. I'm a faith person. I believe in confession. I believe in showing and using my words. But some of y'all out here are living your life based on foolishness and presumption. God ain't told you to go buy that 2023 Benz. It's going to cost you $1,500 a month in a card note when you don't bring home but $3,500 a month. God ain't told you that. God ain't told you that. How do I know he ain't told you that? Because after you made the down payment 60 days later, you couldn't pay the card note. That is, that is foolishness. That is presumption. That is not faith. You need to have a budget and you need to have savings. And you need to combine that with obeying God where your sowing is concerned. Because what the enemy wants to do, he wants to say, well, if you want to save, if you want to budget, then don't sow. No, you do them all. You do them all. It's like in Ecclesiastes when he says you need to work and sow. He says, don't withhold your hand. You work and you sow because you don't know which one is going to cause you to prosper. Here's the third practical thing you need to do. You need to learn to invest in the kingdom. 
You got to learn to invest in the kingdom. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That is the reason I love sowing into people because it makes my heart be with people. That's why I like to sow. When somebody gets a new car, I want to buy them a couple of tanks of gas. Somebody get a new house, I want to give them a housewoman present. Somebody get a new job. Listen, I, I, I want to celebrate you. I want to do something nice. I want to get you something for your desk. Why? Because the Bible says wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Husband and wives, and I say husband and wives because it goes both ways. You want your heart and your affection to go back to your spouse? Put your treasure there. What do you value? Money? Time? Start putting some money and time into that relationship and see if that thing don't make a turnaround. Because wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen? Listen, I'm going to close. We've been here about, about 90 minutes. I want to encourage you to stay connected to the source. I want to encourage you to stay connected to the source. Jesus is your source. Psalms 1 and 3 says it that you should be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water that bring forth this fruit in this season whose leaves also shall not wither. And whatever you do, it's going to prosper as long as the Lord's told you to do it. Your connection to God ensures you remain faithful. Your source isn't your job. Your source isn't your business. It is God. Stay connected to him and you will never run dry. The other thing you need to do is to guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, it says, keep thy heart with all diligence. I've said this a couple of times tonight. For out of it are the issues of life. Do not let greed or the love for money, the love of money, don't let the wrong relationship with money take root in your life. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money, the wrong relationship. You shouldn't be willing to do anything for money. You got to stay vigilant against greed and materialism. Anything that God gives you, you ought to be willing to give back to God. We say this all the time. God owns everything. I own nothing. God owns everything. I own nothing. God owns everything. I own nothing. But as a steward, he entrusts me, praise God, with a whole lot. He entrusts me with a whole lot. But I don't own anything. Anything I have, if God asks for it, he can have it. Because it's his to begin with. And then lastly, stay in a place of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8 says, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. A grateful heart is a magnet for miracles. Did you hear me? A grateful heart is a magnet for miracles. Thankfulness multiplies your blessings. When you're grateful for what you have, God sees that and he knows that you are ready to handle even more. Thankfulness multiplies your blessings and gratitude becomes a magnet for miracles. Somebody type in the comment section, say, I am a magnet for miracles. Faith, words, 
in actions. It is how you unlock God's financial promises. Listen, I hope this teaching was a blessing to you tonight. Thank you for hanging in there. I decided I wasn't going to rush. I was just going to teach the word because I believe that we are on the precipice of breaking through and seeing God do some things in our lives that we have not personally seen him do before. I am going all the way with God. How about you? I'm not going to let fear. I'm not going to let doubt. I'm not going to let unbelief get in the way. I'm not going to have a love for money. I'm not going to be materialistic. I'm going to operate from the standpoint that God wants me rich. God wants to add, add riches to my life that have no sorrow with him. God wants to bless me. God wants to be good to me. And as a result, I'm going to recognize that everything that he's given me, if he wants me to sow it, I'm going to sow it. I'm not going to sow, though, based off of compulsion. I'm not going to be a person who gets worked up by a teaching and, and gives when God hadn't told me to give. I'm going to be a hearer of the word of God. I'm going to let God speak to my heart. I'm going to tame my thoughts. I'm going to tame my tongue. I'm going to tame my temperament. I'm going to tame my team. And when God tells me to give, I'm going to give. I'm going to be happy about it. And I am going to believe for a harvest. When you do that, the Bible says in Hosea, it says that you'll begin to, to receive blessings on top of blessings. That they'll get to coming so fast, there'll be one blessing, one empowerment on the heels of the other. That they'll be coming so fast and they'll be so big that the blessings of God will make your head spin. I got any head spinners out there tonight? I believe I got some folk out there who believe in that God is doing some new things in their life. It is November the 1st. We still got 61 days, baby. You know what God can do in 61 days? Go back and read the word of God, the guiding word he gave us in January that we read in January. He gave it to us about a year ago, last November. Go back and read that prophecy from July 1 that Pastor Shun shared with our ministry. Listen, and if you're not a partner of Fellowship of Champions, I don't know what you're waiting for. You ought to become a partner tonight. Before you lay your head down on that pillow, I am telling you, you ought to go to www.focchurch.com. Take the two minutes or, or, or three minutes that it takes to fill that partnership form out and click send. Because just like having a black card, that Centurion card, that American Express Centurion card, membership has its privileges. And there's some things that you don't get just because you watch the broadcast. You got a partner here. We're like iron sharpening iron. We're getting better and we're going to make you better and you're getting better and you're going to make us better. So what you waiting on? Become a partner. What do partners do? Partners use their faith. Partners use their word. And partners sow. That's what they do. And, they, and in turn, they unlock the financial promises of God in their life and all the other promises that come with it. So become a partner. Now listen.
you've got an opportunity. I know we don't always talk about it a lot on Wednesday night, but you've got an opportunity to sow. You have an opportunity to sow. And I don't, I don't want you to sow into me. That, that's, not, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take this opportunity to hear from God about what he wants you to sow. What he wants you to sow tonight into FOC. He might teach you to sow into FOC and sow into somebody else, but it's all his. But you have an opportunity to participate. How? You can give through Givelify. You can give through PushPay. You can give through Tithely. You can even text to give. A lot more people are using text to give now. It used to just be Pastor Sean and a couple of other people, but a lot of people are enjoying it. So you just type, text the word give to 833-969-0897. If you are one of our international partners, you can use PayPal. Now, let me explain the reason we tell our international partners to use PayPal, because I had a couple of people start back using PayPal because they were new, probably and didn't know. And praise God, it's not a problem. But here's the issue. If you give on PayPal at the end of the year, we will not issue you a giving receipt. In, in, in other countries, they don't need giving receipts to file for their taxes because they don't do like we do in the United States. So if you want to have a giving receipt, for the, your end of your giving, you have to use one of these other platforms. You've got to use Givelify. You've got to use PushPay. You've got to use Tidely or text to give If you use one of those platforms at the end of the year, we will send you, and you can also go in and look at it anytime you want to, your own personal giving statement. And I would encourage you, it's November. I know the Marlowe's are doing it. I know the Strickland's are doing it. I know several other people are doing it because this time of year, we start to look. <laughs> where are we in our giving? I know we looked in the first quarter and the second quarter, but life gets busy. I want to make sure that I'm meeting my giving goal. If that means I need to reprioritize some things, and that's what I do. But I'm not going to show up giving less this year than I did last year when God's been better to me this year than he was last year. And that's just the kind of talk you need to have sometime because it's just true. And so you can do that tonight. Don't forget about the things I talked about. Won't go through them again, but don't forget about November 11th. Don't forget about the 12th and don't forget about the 14th. Amen. Listen, thank you, gentlemen, for being in the studio tonight. Thank you all for being there. Thank you guys for joining in. Listen, I say this all the time and I mean it. If you have a question, don't think that it's a dumb question. Hit me up on Messenger. If you got a question, if you got a question, and I mean, now, now I, there are some dumb questions, but not when it's concerning the word of God. Okay? <laughs> not when it's concerning the word of God. If you got a question about this teaching, if you got a question about the word of God, send it to me. I'm happy to work through it. Okay? Don't be asking me no question why you, the dude who, who dating you and got two baby mamas and won't come see you on Thanksgiving making you feel bad. Don't send me no stuff like that. See, when you do refresh Bible study, you tap into that Ralph Marlowe anointing. But, but don't send me no mess like that. But if you got a question about the word, then I am happy to help you. Let me get out of here. I got to go. I love you guys. Have a great night. Listen, I'll see you Friday morning, 6.30 uh, a.m. for Champion Circle, okay? Make sure you mark your calendars and be there or be square. All right. Amen. Was that for me? Question? No. Okay. Amen. All right. Well, love you guys. Take care. Have a great night. Bye-bye.